that was a big introduction right there. Wait, do that again. Amen. So we're going to get started. So those of you who, uh, if you could start finding your seats. Uh, it's good to see so many people here today. Last week I spoke at a church, only three people showed up. So I asked the pastor, I said, didn't, didn't, didn't you let people know that I was coming here to preach? The pastor said, no, but I guess they found out anyway. <laughs> well, the, the last time I was preaching here, I, I had a cut on my face. And after the sermon, someone came up to me. And, and they said, what happened? I said, I was shaving. I was concentrating on my sermon, and I cut my face. They said, next time, concentrate on your face and cut your sermon. <laughs> so, so this time, we try to keep it short, Pastor George. I'll watch for the signals this time. So I'm going to be continuing on... Pastor George's series. Well, this, this I know, and the name of the sermon today is This One Thing I Know, and, and you'll find out why. So I'm going to read today from, from the book of John, chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 1. And this is speaking about Jesus, where it says, he, that's Jesus. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Rabbi means teacher, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is one of the most hardest scriptures to understand. Does that make any sense to you? Why was this man born blind? Did his parents sin or was it him? If he was born blind, doesn't that sound like a strange question? When did he have a chance to sin? He came out that way. See, a lot of people in the Eastern religion and the New Age, they used this scripture to try to prove reincarnation. They said, well, if, if they're asking if he sinned, just even before he was born, he must have had previous lives somewhere else, like they believe in, in India and different places. They, they believe that you, you can um, have different lives. You might come back as a kangaroo, as a cow, because you need to complete your assignment. If you haven't yet come to the spiritual state that you're supposed to, then you have another chance when you die and you come back in another form. I, I used to know a lady who wrote a book on reincarnation. I knew her ever since she was a German shepherd. <laughs> but see, the Bible says it's appointed once to die and then the judgment. Everything is determined by how we live our life now and here. You, you don't come back. There's no other chances. Way, how you spend your eternity is determined on now. But I did some research, and what I found out is that the rabbis believed that it was possible for a child to sin even when they were in the womb, that they could already be evil and that God would judge them. So, for example, two twin brothers in the book of Genesis, Jacob and Esau. The Bible, the rabbis try to teach that Esau was evil even in the womb, and that's why he had trouble in his life, because God judged him. But we know that that's not true. See, it's, it's a picture of, of the way that the, the Jewish rabbis looked at it. They, they see God as an angry God, always ready to punish you, always ready to strike you. If something happened, it always had to be your fault. 
See, and, and many times Christians can have, the, can have the same idea. If there's something wrong, let's blame the victim. I, I, I've experienced it sometimes, something like shark week. As soon as you confess something to, to certain people, they come out like sharks. They see blood and begin to attack. They take the Bible and start beating you over the head. It must have been your fault. This is all your fault. This problem is you messed up. It, it reminds me of the book of Job, where you remember Job. He went through a lot of troubles. I mean, horrible things happened to him. And he ended up sick and miserable and in terrible pain. And all his friends sat around him. And you, instead of building him up, instead of comforting him, they pointed the finger. This is all your fault. This would not happen to you if you were living right. And you know what Job said to them? Miserable comforters are you all. Don't, don't let anybody put that on you. Don't, don't let anyone start pointing your, the finger at you. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't do it. Don't presume to know why someone is suffering. God is not about that. He, he's, not a, he's not about examining your past and dredging it up. He's about here and he's about now. In other words, we don't, we don't dwell on our past anymore. We don't live anymore in the place of if only. Oh, if only I didn't marry that person. If only I would have gone back to school. If only if I didn't make that stupid decision. See, that's not God. The past is over. Every mistake, everything that you've done in your past is washed away. We, we don't go back to, the, to those re religious figures who, who try to bring us a picture of an angry God always ready to pounce on you. Instead, he's ready to forgive you. He's ready, he's ready to wash away your failures. Do you want to know what real ministry is? Real ministry isn't looking at a blind person and trying to figure out how they got that way. It's not looking at someone who messed up their life and... and I'm beginning to point out every failure. Real New Testament ministry. I look into the face of a broken person who messed up, who's hurting, and I don't begin to point out their failures. I begin to see the greatness of God. I begin to call it out. See, that's New Testament ministry. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read now verse 6 from John chapter 9. After saying this, again, Jesus, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. God does some weird stuff, right? He takes, he takes some dirt, spits in it, puts it in the guy's eyes, and then tells the guy that can't even see where he's going, go wash it off in the pool of Siloam. God, a lot of times you see God do some weird stuff. Another time he told a guy who couldn't talk, he says, stick out your tongue, and he spit on the guy's tongue. Another time somebody was riding on a donkey, and he was going the wrong direction, and God made the donkey talk and told the man, turn around. See, God does stuff that's weird. That's where I get it from, Pastor George. Don't blame me. See, you're always, always blaming me. That's where I get all my weirdness from, from God. 
Because what, what was God's, re, what was Jesus' response when the disciples said, well, how did this man get like this? See, they try to point fingers at someone. There's got to be a sin. We're, we're going to investigate. We're going to find out. And what, God, what did Jesus say? This happened so that God could be glorified. Neither sinned. It wasn't him. It wasn't his parents. But God is going to get glory out of this situation. So Jesus took the, the dirt, he spit in it, made mud, and put it in the guy's eyes. Why did he do that? I have absolutely no idea in the world. I've heard some possibilities. I heard, read one commentary where they believed that Jesus was making new eyeballs, right? Because we're made out of dirt. And, and the spit represents the, the spirit, the, the water. So some people believe he was making eyeballs <laughs> and putting it on the... I have absolutely no idea. And do you know why I have no idea? Because God does not owe us an explanation. Sometimes God will tell you to do something that makes no sense. This past week, we, on Wednesday and Thursday night, we had a seminar here on giving and tithing. And say, I believe in tithing, not as a law. We don't live under the law, but I believe it's a biblical principle. And God told me to do it. And guess what? It makes absolutely no sense to me. To take 10% of the money that I need to pay bills and I try to figure it out. I can't afford giving 10% to the church. But I do it not because it makes sense. I decided I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to live by reasons. And do you know that after 22 years, I could say I'm not sorry because of that obedience, because of that stepping out in faith. God has been faithful, even though I can't figure it out. God's ways are higher than our ways. The Bible says he's beyond knowing. He, Jesus told this rich young ruler, take all your money, give it away to the poor, everything you got. And the guy didn't do it. It, he, it didn't compute in his head. All I work for, I'm just going to give it away? That doesn't make any sense. God is going to tell you to do stuff that makes no sense. More than I believe that God told him to take, to go wash off the mud as an act of faith. See, God wants to activate your faith. He wants to activate your obedience because he want, he's ready to do a miracle on your behalf because the man went, he washed it off, and he could see. Never before in the history of the earth, the Bible says, has a man who was born blind been able to gain his sight. And it was because he was willing to obey what seemed ridiculous. See, our, our job is not to understand. All, all I know is I'm going to obey God whether it makes sense to me, whether in my eyes it's the best thing for my life. The Bible says we yield to him because he knows better. He's able to see ahead. And God was determined to heal this man and he's determined to heal you. And he will break the laws of nature to do it. See, God is the creator. He's not limited by nature. He's the God of the impossible. He can make you a new eyeball. He could put money in your checking account. He can supernaturally get you promotion. He could launch you ahead of the ten people that are ahead of you. Because he's a supernatural God, and you got to get him out of your box. you got to start believing him for the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. And he said, I'm going to get glory out of your situation. Whether it was your fault, whether it was your parents' fault, it doesn't matter. Because God says, whoever's fault it was, 
I'm going to get all the glory because Jesus stood in the synagogue when, when he revealed who he was in Luke 4, 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, we're not, about, we're not about investigating how people messed up their life. We're, we're all about preaching good news. We're all about healing, proclaiming freedom. In other words, we, we don't have to know how it happened. We are the solution. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Jesus does not condemn you today. Now, I'm not saying that a lot of the mess that happens isn't our fault. If the doctor tells you not to eat something and you eat it anyway and you get sick, we pay for a lot of times the consequences of our own behavior. Pastor Ephraim, he, he talks about eating healthy. He told me I shouldn't eat anything with preservatives. I'll tell you the truth, at my age, I need all the preservatives I can get, Pastor Ephraim. So that, that doesn't count. But do you know what? Even if you made your own bed and you're lying in it, even you made a bad decision, you married the wrong person, you messed up your life. You, you did something. God is not in the business of bringing condemnation, guilt, and shame. He's ready to free, bring freedom to your heart, to heal you. Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. Jesus is, according to Bill Johnson, perfect theology. If you can't find it in the life of Jesus, then, then something's wrong. And when I look in the life of Jesus, he's all about healing. He's all about taking the oppressed, the hurting, the messed up, and releasing new life, restoration. So Jesus healed this man, but not everybody liked it. See, there's a lot of religious people that actually get mad when God starts to move. And back in Jesus' time, there were these religious leaders called the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were the, they were the rabbis, they were the rulers, but Jesus told them that they were filled with spiritual pride. And when somebody's prideful, they don't want to see anyone new coming on the scene. They feel jealous if somebody else gets a little too much attention. If somebody amongst them gets a little too anointed, they don't get all excited and say, praise God, he, he's working, he's building up a generation. That, this is dangerous. I've heard that. This is dangerous. We need to shut this down. And instead of saying, praise God, a man born blind was healed, these religious people, these critics, they got upset. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't heal on the Sabbath. Make sure that's not you, that you're not one of these finger pointers. Praise God. I... I I've seen for myself where, where people would get up on a platform and do a beautiful worship dance to the Lord, and people would be healed and crying, and there in the back of the church would be an angry mob of women. Oh, you see, that her blouse is too tight. <laughs> Forget that God is working. Forget that the glory is being released. Instead of going to the person afterwards and saying, here's how I can help you. Here, here's, how, here's how we can do it better the next time. You, you, they start pointing fingers like these Pharisees. And they actually got mad at Jesus. 
They, especially when Jesus told them that they themselves were sinners. See, Pharisees, religious leaders like that, they don't want to be told they're sinners. They, they, they want to be way up here above everyone else. So they actually got mad. And you know what the Pharisees said? They said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. See, according to the law of the rabbis, it's illegal to, to make mud on the Sabbath. <laughs> because you actually, they said, no, the Bible says you can't work. And you're mixing water and dirt. You're doing work. And that's illegal. And plus, he healed a man. And you're not allowed to heal anyone on the Sabbath. What greater thing to do on the Lord's day than to take a man who'd been oppressed and brought a beggar and set free? Then they went, so they went to the man and started telling him, oh, who, who, who was this guy? He must be a sinner. This is Jesus. And, and they didn't get any satisfaction from him, so then they went to the man's parents. Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents asked, answered, and we know he was born blind, but how we can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. I'm, I'm going to go to verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Imagine that, their own son, who was born blind and lived a life of failure and poverty, was healed. And they saw, they received it, they knew the miracle. But when the time came to stand up, oh, we, we don't know anything. They were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. See, these people are symbolic of those people who go to church. They worship God in here, but when we get out there, I don't want anyone to know. Maybe they won't like me. They won't want to hang out with me anymore. Oh, I, I'm, I'm undercover. I asked one guy, I said, you're supposed to be in the army of the Lord. He says, I am. I said, I says how could you be? You, you, never, you never stand up for God. He says, I'm in the secret service. See, there, there's no such a thing. Jesus said that if you don't acknowledge him before people, he won't acknowledge you before the Father. You can't be a secret Christian. That's why we baptize people in public. When you get baptized, what you're saying, I don't care who knows. Yes, you might lose some friends. People from your own family might, know, might think you're crazy. But on the other hand, was this man who was born blind, who was healed. See, the Pharisees kept investigating. They, they, they refused to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. In, so in verse 13, they, they brought the man to back to the Pharisees. And it, so I'm going to read from verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. So the Pharisees said, this man can't be from God. He heals on the Sabbath. And, and what, did the, what did the man answer him? Oh, one thing I know, I don't, I don't know how he did it. I don't know who he is. I don't understand all the theology. But all I know is once I was blind, this one thing I know, once I was blind and now I can see. 
He said, you can throw me out of the synagogue. You could curse me. You can persecute me. But I've, been ha I've had an experience with God. I've seen his power. I know his glory. And you're not going to talk me out of it. See, that's the stand that we need to take. So what I want to do right now is I have some testimonies of some people who were not like these parents who said, I don't know him, Jesus, I never heard of him. Yeah, I'll, I'll go worship him in secret, but I'm not going to let my friends know. I'm, I might not get invited to the parties anymore. But here was this man said, I met him and I've been changed. My life has been transformed. I'm willing to pay the price. Well, I want you to hear now from some people who have paid the price. So I'm, I'm going to ask Jenny first to come up. And, sh and she's going to share with you for a few minutes. So let's walk. Let's welcome Jenny as she walks that aisle. to all. Well, I gave my testimony, uh, I think, last year about how God healed me emotionally after, after I um, lost my boyfriend. He died from cancer. And um, God uh, brought me out of all this pain. He was grieving with me. I got saved. But then there was my mom. <laughs> I come from a Catholic um, background. She's Catholic. She wasn't too happy about me um, praising God and telling her, you know, I feel really good in this, surrounded by, by these people. They encourage me. I just feel different. I feel like now I know what type of Men deserve me. I'm worth it. I, I, I consider my mom being my, my, my friend. But she was like, now you're hanging out with all this. And I'm, I apologize on her behalf. <laughs> this bunch of crazy people. Like back in my, uh, in my country, we, you know, Pentecostal people, you know, how we all rejoice. That's how we show love to the Lord. She wasn't too happy about that. I'm like, mommy, it, that's... That's me. I feel good, and I think that I'm going to follow God through that. All of a sudden, she started calling me every day, 7.30 in the morning, just to complain. She takes my son to school. Um, I don't want to make it sound that I'm talking bad about her, but it's, I'm just walking you through all the things I went through with her. I'm pretty sure most of us go through the same thing with a mom, with a father, with a friend. Uh, but it was getting kind of uncomfortable. I was like, God, I'm serving you. My mom, she should be happy that I'm, instead of being on the street trying to find another type of man, I'm just going to church, you know, serving you, trying to become a better woman, a better mother. Um, I have two kids. And still, I started praying in the spirit. One day, I just heard this, the spirit of the Lord saying, you know, I'm going to fall upon you. I'm going to walk you through this and my testimonies it is just by grace that i've been able to stand strong listening to all the discouragement from my mom i kept praying it's been two years i keep praying every night i keep praying every day one night um the lord just revealed to me the scripture um, from Luke chapter 2 where, where Jesus got lost going to the synagogue and Mary got upset and the Lord was like you see she had the only perfect son the only perfect son and even she got mad so right now it's not about you right now it's not about your mother it's about me like it says in the scripture it's about my business so he started changing me don't ask me how, but we all know the Lord. It's just by grace that 
something inside me I started just working the Holy Spirit just started working the way I responded to my mom maybe just blocking all those discouragement I didn't see it like like punishment from her maybe who knew who knows who what type of life she she was living when she was younger and maybe she she had something inside her and I'm pretty sure God is working on her all of a sudden I just started receiving those phone calls in the morning and I just kept walking right now my, my son comes to church my daughter comes to church my mother wasn't happy about that but she has nothing to say now she used to tell my kids don't wake up just stay in bed stay in bed you know you gotta you go to school every day during the week so you need to just relax like for example today my son just told me mommy then is not ready that's my daughter we need to leave we need to go so that's all by God's grace and I just pray that that all of you I'm pretty sure you do but that you get to know that grace it is by grace that that we, we overcome anything any any word that is spoken over us any curse any discouragement I just invite you to pray for grace, to pray for the Holy Spirit, and to have that encounter with God so that we can overcome and just not to look to the left or to the right, just uh, God's walk. The next testimony is someone from who, could, who couldn't be here today, but by the magic of video, my daughter is going to testify. Say, when I got saved, I was married to an Orthodox Jewish woman. And when I became a Christian, the, the Jewish people said, if you stay married, we're going to throw you out of the synagogue like they told this man. And she gave in. They got her a lawyer. She got divorced. And after that, she did everything that she could to stop my daughter from going to the church. She took her Bible. She threw it away. She hid all her worship tapes. So let, let, let's hear from my daughter Margo right now. Growing up, I went to synagogues. At 10 years old, I went to yeshiva, which is Jewish school. I met with many Orthodox rabbis. And over and over, they would tell me that I was brainwashed, that Jesus never died for our sins, that he could never pay the price, that maybe he was just a good man, but he is not the Son of God, that he is not the Messiah. But I knew that I knew that I knew that he is. Jesus Christ is the Lord God Almighty. And that I need to worship him and give him my whole life. Because I had an encounter with Jesus. I gave my heart to him when I was four. And then when I was ten years old, I felt the Holy Spirit move through my body. When I was worshiping Jesus, when I acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, I felt the Holy Spirit moving through my body where I couldn't even stand anymore. When I was 12 years old and I was just a girl, I, my body was shaking and I knew it wasn't that cold. And I'm saying, why am I shivering? Why are my teeth chattering? I didn't understand. And then I realized it was the power of the Holy Spirit that God was moving through me and I couldn't stand still. I've never experienced anything like that. I've never seen that kind of the power, like the power of God in the synagogues. I never saw the Holy Spirit move. It was just dead religion. And I knew that I knew that Jesus is the Lord of all, that he is the King of glory, and he is the one worthy of worship, worthy of exaltation. And so I would spend time with Jesus. I wasn't allowed to go to church for a few years as a, as a little girl. And so I would just talk to Jesus in my little apartment in Queens, New York City. And the Holy Spirit would come and meet with me. Jesus would sit there in my kitchen with me and move in my heart as I would write to him. I would feel his fire burning in me. I experienced the power of God and I knew that he is real and I still know today I still hold on because I experienced 
himself, to know him personally, to fall in love with him. Because no matter what anybody says, no matter who um, turns their back on you, no matter if you're thrown out of uh, some kind of special clubs or your, your friends want to disown you, it doesn't matter. Because when you have a relationship with Jesus, when you experience him and in his glory and feel him moving through you, when you hear his tender, loving voice, you don't care about everything else. All those other things just fade away. Those ungodly desires just begin to dissipate because you're so captivated by the love of the Almighty God, Jesus Christ. And so I bless you to, to seek after him with all of your heart, to give him your all today and know him for yourself. Know him, have a personal encounter with Jesus. I bless you to feel God moving through your whole being right now. I bless you to feel his fire burning in you, the undeniable fire of God. Just experience it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Lee to come right now. She's, she's going to um, lead us in a time of worship the Lord. And first, she's going, she's going to share a little bit about the price that she paid. See, worship God doesn't always come cheap. Sometimes it's going to cost you something. And you've got to determine right here and right now, like the man who was born blind, that it's worth it, that he is worth it. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, we all know that when we profess to be Christians, when we profess out of our mouth and with our lives that we are not, that we are in this world but not of this world, when we begin talking about this God, this unseen God to people who have never experienced what we've experienced, we, want, we run a heavy risk of rejection. We run a heavy risk of people not understanding where we're coming from, of us putting a label on us like we're strange or we're weird or the world may look at us like we're weak, like we're weak-minded. You know, when I came to Jesus and, and, and I experienced the love and the power of God the way that I did, I still struggled very deeply with being accepted by my family. Um, and I don't know if you, like me, you know, you want to be understood by the people that love you, that, by the people that have cared for you, by the people that have raised you. And then you have this experience with Jesus and you realize, wait a second, they don't really understand me anymore. So then there was, for me, there was the temptation to run the risk of not being so radical, of not being so vocal, of not being so open about my experiences and sharing salvation with my Jewish family. Being Jewish, I was raised not to take Jesus as Messiah. So right there off the bat, no, I was not, like Pastor Gary, his, his testimony is that he was like pretty much disowned by his family because of his faith. I wasn't disowned necessarily, but I was definitely looked at more strangely, more weird. No one wanted to talk about church when we were in family gatherings. And it really hurt me because, like I said, that temptation existed for me to retreat back, to not be as expressive, to not be who I really, really am, all for the sake of my family accepting me. And I, you know, and I, and I grappled with that and, and I came to a place where I said, you know what, even if I lose their respect, even if I lose any sort of acceptance from them, I'm still going to share with them Jesus. I'm still going to share with them the love of God. I'm still going to be vocal. I'm still going to set a standard over my children. I'm still going to say, you know what, I know you didn't raise me like this, but this is what I believe now. And you know what, I, 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 I realized that they, that they reverted back, that they pulled away from me. And, and it would hurt me. And, and I only had like maybe three family members of my adopted family that I stayed in close relationships with. And one of them would just sort of laugh at me. The other one would try to get me to lie and do things for them. 
that were not godly. And I almost saw it as sort of borderline demonic. Like they would almost tempt me like to do things, almost to test me to see where I really stood for Jesus. But all the while I just, I, you know, I got my footing and I said, no, you know what? I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to deny what Christ has done for me. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. I never really 100% feel or felt accepted by my adopted family because of this reason. But I took comfort in this scripture. Peter was talking to Jesus. And he said, see, Jesus, we have left it all. We have left it all to follow you. And I in the same felt the same way. Jesus, I left it all. I left the acceptance of the world. I left, I left the music industry. I left everything that everyone told me would make me worth something. And now what do I look like in the world's eyes? I look like a failure. I look like, oh, she just reverted to that religion stuff. So Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus said, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this life and in the eternal life to come. So I encourage you this morning that if you've left everything and you've taken a stand for Jesus, he has promised you that in this life, you will see the reward and the promises of God fulfilled and there will be a restoration even, but don't let go. Don't let go of how you express your love for God, not in the workplace, not at church, because we can be unequally yoked even with people that are sitting inside of the house of God. Don't be afraid to share your faith. Don't be afraid to be exuberant. Don't be afraid to tell the world that Jesus lives, that Jesus reigns, that Jesus has saved you, that Jesus has healed you, that Jesus has comforted you, that Jesus is your all and all. So I want to sing this song. It's called None But Jesus. Because really at the end of the day, that is why I stand up here and I come here every Sunday to worship the Lord. That is why I left the world. That is why I left everything for the sake of Christ. Amen. Let, let's all stand and begin to worship the God that's healed us, the one who's touched us, the one who has set us free, the one who has taken us out of the darkness. Let's begin to acknowledge him today. Yo 
Amen. There's just a few more things I want to do quickly in closing. See, Jesus didn't only come to open physically blind eyes. He came to open up the eyes of those who are lost, those who are without hope, those are hurting, to open our eyes so we can see him. And maybe you don't know Jesus today. And Ephraim, I'm going to ask you to begin to come. I, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you want to know a God who, who doesn't come to condemn you, he's not here to judge you, but he's here calling you to himself. He wants to bring you eternal life. If you've never done that before, I, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand before God if you want to receive today the free gift of Jesus to set you free. So if that's you, just lift your hand to heaven. Amen. Bless you. God bless you. Amen. And those who, who have raised their hands, you come in and see me right after the service. So we're going to pray for you. We're, we're going to bless you today. And at, at the end, after we're completed, the, the healing ministry will be up here because we want to believe God for the supernatural today. We talk about healing. We want to demonstrate it to you. So if you need a miracle in your body, if you need healing, we have people up here going to believe God for you today. I'm, I'm believing for the miraculous. And then right after the service also, for those of you who want a word from the Lord, we'll be back there. Again, the word of the Lord is not to point out your mess. It's to point out your destiny, to encourage you. But here, here's the way that I want to close. This week, I, re I really was touched by an article that I read in, in a famous Christian magazine. And the article was talking about why men don't like to go to church anymore. And here's a paragraph of it. It says, because men don't want to go to church because they want to be challenged. Men tend to view the world around them as something to be overcome or conquered. It's high time we told them they do not have to check their competitive drive at the door of the church. If they are seeking risk, adventure, change, competition, and expansion, Tell them how to find it within the mission of Jesus. Well, man, I'm telling you today how to find it. Jesus is looking for those who refuse to compromise. Those who are willing to stand no matter what. See, that's manhood. Manhood's not about acting all tough. You wouldn't know it by looking at me, Pastor but see, being a man is about standing up for what you believe. You're saying, no matter what happens, I'm not going to recant. I'm not going to back up. If that's you, for all the men right now, I'm going to ask you, if, if you're saying that together with me, I'm ready for an adventure. I'm ready to stand. I'm in it till the end. I just want to ask you to join me up here just to worship. So, man, come. I'm going to ask you to stand up and just come forward. See, serving Jesus is not boring. So I'm calling forth men of God. I'm calling forth men who refuse to compromise. I'm calling forth men right now who are making a decision that you can reject me, you, you can call me names, maybe you're not going to be my friend anymore, but I'm going to be a man. I'm standing for Jesus. You can't knock it out of me. If you're looking for challenge, this is it right now. You're not going to find it in a club somewhere. This is it here. This is where the rubber meets the road right here.
And, and just as a sign before God, I'm going to ask these men, if you can just lift your hand to heaven. See, we're not ashamed. You know what you're saying? I don't care who sees. See, this, this isn't for no wishy-washy people. There's no sissies here. Christianity, you got to be strong. You, you got this manhood. That's real manhood. So let's worship God right now. Let, let the men cry out. What a Stop us, and the 